This is episode 23, and you're listening to The Tipping Point. Hi, welcome back to my podcast. I'm Zoya, your host, and you're listening to The Black Sprout. This week, we are talking about tips. Okay, no, not not advice. <laughs> I'm talking about, you know, that coin. So like all great episodes, um, or at least my episodes, I think that we should start with a definition. What is tipping? From Cambridge Dictionary, they define tipping as the act of giving an amount of money to someone who has provided a service, especially in a hotel or a restaurant. Um, And just for our purposes, honestly, you can extend it further than that because um, I just went to a salon and had a service done and, you know, I was tipping there too. So like they said, it's really places that provide service, we tend to tip. So the practice of tipping was implemented in the post-Civil War era, right? So we're talking about after emancipation. And it really was a practice that depended on the gratitude of the customer. So servers uh, tended to be the people that would receive tips. And so often they needed these tips to make ends meet, right? Like their wages weren't sufficient enough for them to live off of. And so white business owners thought that the best way for them to employ black labor, labor, sorry, um, without having to pay for black labor was to replace their wages with tips. And so the idea of tipping actually originated in Europe. Um, it was a common practice among aristocrats who wanted to show favor to their servants. Um, and really this was thought of as a bonus. Okay. This was a bonus. This wasn't Um, a practice that was supposed to supplement their wages completely, but more as a form of appreciation. But North America took that and they made it the sole income for black workers. So one thing we should point out is that restaurant workers historically have been mainly women. So not only do we have to like think about the fact that these women were combating racism, but they were also combating sexism. Hence, intersectionality, you know, I like to sprinkle that everywhere. So even today, we know that um, restaurant workers, especially women who receive substantial um, wages, i.e. full minimum wage, along with their tips, they're less likely to experience workplace harassment, right? Sexual harassment from patrons or employers, um, they're less likely to experience that. And so really, this is a conversation about agency the ability to refuse advances from patrons because their livelihood would not depend solely on the tip that they would receive. So we have to think about this lack of power, right? Like, I'm gonna bring it back to the past, but think about this lack of power that not only do these black workers have to think about pleasing their clientele, but now also their employers. Also, they can survive. Like, this is just so that they can survive. So Carrie Seagraves' 2009 book, which was titled Tipping, an American Social History of Gratitude, quoted a white journalist saying this in 1902. Negroes take tips, of course, one expects that of them. It is a token of their inferiority, he wrote. Tips go with servility, and no man who is a voter in this country is in the least justified to be in service. Um, wow. Just leaving that there. Um, So just think about that sentiment that comes with tips historically. So we can't say that like everybody in North America thought that tipping was okay, right? Like there were some sentiments in 1916 that claimed that tipping went against American ideals because it came from an aristocratic custom. But I, I would like to say 
1916, who would have been considered the ideal American, right? So I, I made a point to say that quote earlier because this was a general like idea and like thought that was held. And honestly, we can even just say it's a general thought because we literally have the practice today. And I, I do want to say, let me just take a moment and say that I am not, not at all saying that we should not be tipping work, our, our service workers or anything at all, at all. In fact, the fact that um, these service people have to depend on tips, and I'm more talking restaurants, um, and I'm saying that just because I have a bunch of friends who, you know, work in, you know, different types of esthetician or, you know, other service type things, and they receive tips. So I'm literally not sitting here tip your people tip tip your people okay but I'm more trying to explain where does this practice come from right like so many of these um act, like activities and practices and I don't know like customs that we have today are things that we take for granted we just do and we never really think about like where does this come from why do we do it why why and and I'm making a point also to say this because there's been a lot of people you know raising concern about the fact that restaurant workers, for instance, cannot live on their below minimum wage, um, wage, and the fact that they have to rely on tips to make um, ends meet or to pay their bills is honestly outrageous. And that is where I'm coming from. That is the perspective in which I have. Not that we shouldn't be tipping service people, but that it is a shame and it is honestly disgusting that these employers and um, government even would allow for businesses to create environments in which, you know, their employees have no agency or they have limited agency and that they are forced to put themselves in uncomfortable situations. And I'm totally going to expand on that a little bit later, but that you have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations just so you can pay bills. I will say this forever and always. We live on a floating rock and the fact that we pay to occupy this when everything that we have on here is produced for free. And I mean that in terms of like a tree, right? Like like a tree growing out of the ground doesn't take anything but the parts of earth. I don't know. I'm saying this wrong, but you know what I mean? Like we live on a floating rock and we're paying bills. How, how did we get there? How, did, how am I working now? How am I forced that I need to have a job? And I mean, the answer is capitalism and, you know, colonialization. But, but really... Um, like I said, this is just a conversation of where does this practice come from and why do we still continue to implement it? And I'm really, really, really talking about the idea that you have to depend on your tips um, to have uh, to like survive. Right. Not not even the fact that we give tip, but that you have to depend on your tips to survive, that your employer wouldn't give you enough wages, wouldn't pay you for you know, your job for your task, they wouldn't give you enough. Instead, they said, yeah, this is the little bit we can give you, we're going to give you as little as we can. Now, get the rest yourself. Um, so as we can see, just with the idea that, you know, um, you know, people were saying that, you know, tipping goes against the American ideal. And I would expand to say the North American ideal. Um, and I'm later going to touch on the ways that like Canada um, also made either history or like made their own forms of resistance against, you know, the idea that 
black labor was exploited and had to rely on tips, right? We're, we're past the mass emancipation. We're past the point where it was okay by law, right? And that is why it's always important. Like when people want to argue with you and say that like something is morally wrong because it's against the law, mm, babes, a lot has been against the law. A lot of things have been against the law and, you know, opinions and morals have changed over time. There was a time when it was legally justified for racial segregation. There was a time where it was justified um, for people to be persecuted for same-sex um, relationships. Um, I would like to point out, though, that they, the, the idea that this tipping went against the American ideal was something that several states, you know, um, took on. And so the practice of tipping ended in the early 1900s for them. But even today's research shows that there's often racial bias when it comes to tipping, okay? So customers typically give white workers bigger tips and black workers less, regardless of the service, right? So whether or not they got better service, racial bias. And honestly, this is a side note, but I would like to point out some racial bias. I made a TikTok the other day, um, and I wanna point out in the TikTok, my lips literally didn't move. Um, and everybody and their moms were in the comments saying I was angry. My TikTok was just saying that my roommates were getting mad at us for asking them to fix pillows. And yet somehow they watched that video and interpreted that I was angry. That is that racial bias. I mean, that was projection for sure. You guys are mad that somebody asked you to clean up and I know, side note, side note, but I would just like to say, why is it that we're so quick to be like, you know what, let people live if they want to be messy, mental health. Oh my gosh, don't get on them, mental health. What about the people who need, you know, a little bit of organization and some, you know, cleanliness and clarity for their mental health, i.e. me. Uh, uh, and, and more pointing out the fact that I didn't say anything in my video, really. My lips were closed, but I was the angry black woman. Just something to chew on, something to think about. Anyway, let's get back to tips. So imagine this idea, right? Like we already know research. Research literally tells us and studies show us that, you know, um, race influences the types of tips you're getting. Imagine now sex being a factor, gender, right? So imagine the effect that that would have on women of color. And so let us just go right back to talk about Pullman Company. Um, they were notorious for hiring newly freed black men as porters. And so they didn't provide a wage, but instead they offered a mere pittance, sorry, pittance, pittance. I feel a little British, but pittance. And um, basically they made their men rely on the tips from their white clientels. And so it was said that George M. Pullman, um, basically, you know, he raised Chicago from the mud um, because he introduced luxury rail lines to the U.S. And so this is important because railroads were beginning to dominate prior to the Civil War. And so Pullman even hired a substitute to take his place in the Union Army so that he could start fashioning high quality sleep cars. Can you imagine that? <laughs> he paid someone else to go fight so he could make some luxury cars. Um, and so anyway, his business took off after that in about 1869. And so I think it's important to note that Pullman didn't invent the sleep car, 
but instead he capitalized on it. And this is honestly the lovely story of America. Think about tons of people, <clears throat> maybe somebody who recently purchased Twitter, who um, capitalizes on other people's inventions. And in Twitter man's case, he has the ability to have enough money to rewrite history. And so he's decided that he is an inventor. Hence, Regardless of whether he invented anything, but apparently if you have enough money to throw at something, you invented it. I don't know how that works. The, the math isn't mathing for me, but as we know, I didn't study math. I studied journalism. So um, instead, an upstate New York wagon maker named Theodore T. Woodruff was credited with the invention in 1857. But I throw that word credited loosely because, as we know, the more and more I learn about just life um, and the way that, you know, colonialization has rewritten history, right? And, and the fact that the winners get to write history and the fact that who typically are the winners or the heroes in our, our, you know, national historical understandings of the way that the world works. So like I said, I throw that loosely, but that's what I've gained from some of my readings. So one thing I also think was really interesting is at this time, the word businessman was, was being used a lot, right? It had just recently been coined. And let me tell you, they were capitalizing on that too. So basically, um, Pullman created a legacy, right, based in luxury and revenue. And the business, in its most basic sense, really offered middle-class customers the ability to sleep while traveling to their meetings by train or in private cars. And so anyway, it wasn't until later that he ran into financial trouble around 1893. Um, basically, the nation went under one of the worst depressions that you know America has seen. And I think it's important to note which is why I brought up the businessman earlier, is this is the time that we're seeing that all those white businessmen that were filling those cars were getting laid off. And so there went his business. Um, I do want to offer a definition for pittance, um, just mostly because I mentioned it with the black porters that would be working on these trains. But it's basically a small portion, allowance or amount, um, a meager wage. Uh, and that was from Merriam-Webster. So let's talk about the first black union. This was under the leadership of A. Philip Randolph, um, and he was affiliated with the American Federation of Labor. So we're seeing the first minimum wage law being signed in about 1938 by Franklin Roosevelt. However, in 1966, this national law was overruled and it didn't apply to restaurant workers. So advocates worked to ensure that at least 50% of minimum wage was guaranteed to their workers as a base wage. Yet, somehow, <laughs> the head of the National Restaurant Association at the time, who was Herman Cain, he made a deal that the industry would allow for a small minimum wage. And at the time, it was $2.13 an hour, right? And this was done to stop Congress from raising the sub-minimum wage at the time. So we're talking about 1996. Technically, employers were supposed to pay their employees the difference, right? So as much as this was a minimum wage that was set, you know, nationwide, the, it was expected that employers were supposed to pay their workers a difference. But this law was not enforced, 
Okay. And I'm going to tell you, I know it's not enforced because I got a couple of people that I know that work at restaurants. <laughs> and when they, when they, I didn't believe people at first. It wasn't that I didn't believe, sorry. It was more like I never worked in the restaurant industry. So I, you know how you see things in movies and you're like, it, it, that just can't be true. Like, I'm sorry. I just don't believe that can be true. Like still. And that was sort of my, 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 um, my reaction where it's like still. So anyway, um, in fact, the Department of Labor conducted a compliance sweep of almost 10,000 full service restaurants between 2010 to about 2012. And basically they found out that 84% of restaurants were violating the subminimum wage system. So they were literally supposed to, this is federal, right? They were supposed to be paying their workers and they said, no, nah, I'm good. So in Canada, labor unions originally barred black workers from taking membership. So what do we do best, black people? We make our own. And so in 1917, John A. Robinson, J.W. Barber, B.F. Jones, and P. White, black porters who were based in Winnipeg, they formed um, an organization called the Order of Sleeping Car Porters, OSCP, um, and they became the first black railway union in North America, okay? Canada, we be doing things. And so today, let's just talk about the impact that tipping, the history, the legacy, right? Let's, let's talk about the impact that it has today. And so in the US, 43 states still use this method of payment for their workers. So basically there's a dis disproportionate amount of black and brown women that make up about 70% of the workforce that is underpaid under minimum wage. Sorry. Let's just run that number again. 70% of the workforce? And, and honestly, guys, I learned recently that black women are like one of the most highly educated like people in North America. How are you making 70% of a workforce that is underpaying you? Anyway, so basically it's been reported that some of the male customers will demand that these women and this, so we're talking more today. So think about how COVID, for instance, is impacting the service industry. And so you have male customers demanding that these women um, servers take off their face masks so that they can look at their face and, you know, base their tip off of that. That's crazy. That's appalling. That is appalling. But here we are talking about the ways that not only race, but also gender is impacting the way people are even getting paid, right? Like this is your livelihood. And it's based off of your face, if you're pretty or not. And don't get me wrong, like we all know about pretty privilege and we've had the conversation. And I do think we have to acknowledge the fact that pretty privilege is rooted in white supremacy. So often when we're having the conversations about what is pretty, at its base, let's be honest, like it's rooted back to ideals of white supremacy, fair skin, you know, loose curls. And I'm saying the loose curls because the fetishization of, you know, racialized people doesn't mean that we accept them. Taking the fact that there had to be a law passed in New York, right, to not allow employers to discriminate employees based on the hair that grows out of their head. So as much as I'm saying, you know, the looser curl, it's really like how far away can we get away from, you know, blackness? How close can we get to whiteness? Um, and so, you know, pretty privilege is causing a huge factor in whether or not you can make enough money to support yourself. 
And so black women who are working in these restaurants on average earn less than $5 an hour compared to their white counterparts. Okay, this is nationwide. So a contributing factor includes segregation in casual restaurants where men typically work in dining. And think about the fact if you're able to work in like a restaurant that is, you know, more high end, that has, you know, clientele that would offer you more money when it comes to tips because they can afford that. Imagine if you're not getting the opportunity to work there. You already have to depend on your tips to make end meet, ends meet, and you're not even most likely, statistically speaking, right? This isn't Zoya sitting here just pulling things out and, and you know, being a hater. Statistically speaking, you're most, like not, you're most likely not going to be hired at these places. You're not going to get that chance to get that higher wage. So even if, you know, you're sitting here telling work harder, do better, how are you going to do better in a system that's already setting you back? And imagine being asked to do more for less during the pandemic, right? So what we're seeing is a decrease in in wages, but not a decrease in workload, not a decrease in effort, not a decrease in service. If anything, it's increased, right? And so there's our reports that say that Black workers receive harassment and reduced tips when enforcing COVID-19 safety measures and protocols. And I just want to say, um, I worked in retail. So as someone who had to enforce, you know, um, COVID-19 safety measures, And and I'm not saying that necessarily race is a factor, like race is always a factor, but I'm not saying that race is a factor in this sense. I'm more even just saying my experience telling people about our rules and having people get so agitated and aggravated and angry at me. I had to remind people all the time, babes, I'm an employee. I was like, oh, sale associate, right? So you, you see that title? You see that? You see this little thing around my neck? Yeah, just a sale associate. I promise you this is not something I I put in myself. So you can go yell and get mad, but at the end of the day, I'm just a sales associate. But anyway, so um, let's just fast forward a little bit. Um, I think that this is a timely episode because we're seeing right now the Raise the Minimum Wage Act, right? And this would help offer servers a living wage if it was enacted by Congress. So this policy was presented by President Biden in his new relief package, Um, This being said, though, the National Restaurant Association did start a campaign to convince Congress to maintain the sub-minimum wage. That's actually crazy, because in 2022, the National Restaurant Association said, yeah, we actually want to keep the sub-minimum wage. So let me just say, though, that the National Restaurant Association or, you know, associations like that, this isn't new. Them lobbying to continue to keep you know, minimum wage low, um, right? To exempt, to be exempt from paying their workers a fair minimum wage is not new. In fact, we're almost 150 years after emancipation and they're still arguing the same thing. And I think this is like crazy because this practice is literally rooted in slavery, the slavery legacy, right? Like how are we going to use black labor without paying them? Now, remember that the prison complex is also another legacy of slavery. How are we going to use marginalized labor, black labor, you know, marginalized bodies without paying them? So if this act was passed, though, it will be the first federal minimum wage increase that we've seen in more than a decade. Um, But like, actually, that's that's actually crazy. 
And so really, I think that it's really important for us to be having these conversations. Like I said, this is not an episode to say don't tip at all. In fact, you should tip. (laughs) You should tip. Actually, you know what's funny? I remember I saw a TikTok that was talking about how um, black people never tip. And I was seeing another, like, obviously I'm on black TikTok, so I was seeing all the black people being like, it's actually so crazy that there's that sentiment out there when like literally everybody we know and their moms, all we do is tip, right? Like everyone I know tips, like, I don't know black people that don't tip. And really what I find is like, imagine this, you have a server that already thinks that you're not going to tip. And we happen to live in areas like me, where I am situated, is in an area that is predominantly white. So I'm already in an environment that has these racial biases, whether conscious or not. And I say that because, hello, my TikTok, not that they circulated necessarily in my area, but like that was a great example of it. My mouth didn't open and yet already people said, oh, she's angry. Why are you mad? Why are you mad at girls for, oh, if they wanted, they live there too. If they don't want to fix pills, they don't have to. That's crazy because I actually bought the couch and the pillows that are on there belong to not them. So here you are using an item that doesn't belong to you and the least you could do is maybe fix it back. And all I asked of you was maybe to consider fixing the pillows after getting up. And instead, somehow you made yourself the victim. And yet somehow in a video where people saw that was like seven seconds, you were able to understand in seven seconds my whole life story. That is actually amazing because really and truly you need to be doing research. We are out here reading books after books after books trying to gain understanding, but I didn't realize you could learn everything in seven seconds. I I didn't know. I didn't know. So thank you guys for informing me. (laughs) I, you know, maybe I should stop being so sarcastic, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Anyway. I really think that we should be having these discussions. I really think we should be thinking about the ways that the practices that we do, why do we do them? And and it's not always that we necessarily need to stop the action itself, but we have to put in other things to alleviate them, right? Like, yeah, you need to be putting in something to alleviate it. I'm not saying we need to be done with tips, but we really need to, why aren't people being paid fairly? That is a question, that is a conversation that should be had. Why are people not being compensated for their work? I mean, I think it's hilarious. It's the idea of the whole, you know, the restaurant thing. Remember, everyone's like, go get a job, like go get a degree so you don't have to work at McDonald's. And now the sentiment is like, oh, you're too good for McDonald's? Babes, I would like to pay my bills. So if McDonald's can give me enough money to pay my bills, that's what all we want to do. We just want to pay our bills and live happily. So really the conversation is, why are we on a floating rock paying bills? Let's get to the root of the problem, guys, okay? Tipping isn't the problem. The problem is why don't we have employers that pay their employees uh, like a, a living wage? Why aren't they offered services? And really, you know, all these things link back to other things, right? Like why aren't we offering childcare services, right? Like why is that the, oh wow, like that's a good place. That should be the norm. Why aren't we offering great health benefits, right? Like these are the things we're sitting here fighting for. And so as much as we're drawing awareness to these small aspects that are unfair, it's really a whole system that needs to be reevaluated and thought of. And so at the end of the day, I would just like to say, I would like to say we live on a floating rock and we're paying bills. Our, Our floating rock produces, you know, food for us, for instance, and yet we're paying for it. We shouldn't be going hungry. 
I'm sorry. We have multi-billionaires. We Nobody should be going hungry. And you have to remember at the end of the day, to be a billionaire, you have to exploit. So for everybody who wants to ride hard for your billionaires, maybe because you think you'll get there someday, I don't think you understand the concept of a billion dollars. And there is no ethical way to, to like acquire that. As you can see, I'm struggling to get that out there because it boggles my mind when people fight hard for, you know, billionaires who I promise don't see your tweet. They didn't see your message. They weren't that devil's advocate you want to play so hard. Crazy. It's actually crazy because when your family or the people around you that you actually see are struggling and you're here, you know, idolizing this, this figure who could actually care less about you, it's just crazy to me. And so I would rather be part of the group of people that is working to understand how do we make the world easier for the average person, okay? The 1%, I promise you, is not who I'm worried about. Well, guys, that was this week's episode. Um, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed. So make sure you guys follow us on our socials, Black Sprout on Instagram and Twitter. You know, that's B-L-C-K-S-P-R-O-U-T. Make sure to join the newsletter. Come on, please hit that link tree. I want to invite you, come join the newsletter. I send them out bi-weekly, okay? If you don't get an episode, you get a newsletter. It's crazy. I'm busy. I'm a busy woman. And as always, guys, please interact with the podcast. Um, A lot of you have recently been reaching out to me. Um, I feel like our community is growing. It makes me so happy. Um, First of all, guys, we're almost at a year, so please... Anyway, please interact with me, guys. Let me know your thoughts. Interact with the Instagram page. You know, every now and again, I like to post questions. I'm going to try to post more. And as always, my inbox is open. Some of you have already, you know, hit it up, but hit it up some more. Anyway, stay tuned for the next one. Bye, guys.